Dear God, thank you so much for this morning, this opportunity we have to worship you. Uh, I pray that you'd meet us in this space. We don't have a lot of spaces like this where we cut away from all the distraction and the expectations, just listen for your voice. Uh, we know your word does not go out and return void. We pray that you would use your word in all of our hearts, remove me from the equation, and just speak to us. There's some people that need encouragement, there's some people that need strength, there's some people, you, you know what we need. So we pray you just meet us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, welcome 930. It's so cool to have you here. And welcome to 930 Grace Tremont. I don't know if you know, but we got a whole nother location. Our friends, our brothers and sisters up in Tremont, welcome. We're pumped to have you here as we jump into another message in our Rise Up series. I think this is number three. I don't know. I, I did not have enough coffee. I think this is number three in the series, right? And we're looking at kind of like the time period after Jesus' resurrection and kind of like diving into some really important and incredible encounters and uh, trying to find what we can out of those. Last week we talked about doubt and our questions and how God's not scared of those things. We looked at Thomas, the disciples, and literally everybody else in the Bible who all had really big questions about life and God and existence. They all wrestled really hard with some pretty big stuff. And yet somehow that was not a barrier between them and God. It was a catalyst for their growth and their faith. And so we talked about how while doubt can be a dangerous thing, it can be a healthy thing if we approach it the right way. This week, I want to talk about comfort, and the title of this message is Rise Up Out of Your Comfortable Fallback. Now, I know that's a long title, and uh, I already forget what it is, but <laughs> um, what I want to talk to you about is comfort this morning. And how it can be a really good thing, but also how it can be a bad thing in our lives. And we're going to end up looking at this incredible encounter with Jesus in John chapter 21. If you want to follow along, you can flip there and uh, dive into those things. Uh, I want to talk to you about the good, the bad, the ugly, about being comfortable. Now, I love comfort. Some of you are like, we, we see you and your outfits every week. We get it. Like, I actually tied my shoes this morning because I thought, well, maybe I'm a little too comfortable. <laughs> I love comfort, even though I find myself like bragging to friends about comfortable things I find. Like, yo, dude, you would not believe these joggers I found. They are so comfortable. And I realized as I was preparing for this message that I have become an old person because <laughs> I know my kids have been reminding me like, dude, dad, you got a little more gray in your beard over and over and again, which is why it's shorter now. But like uh, they've been reminding me, but I don't think it's sunk in until I realized that I have all of these conversations with my closest buddies about all the things health-related and all the things comfort-related. I get just braggy about comfort stuff. I love comfort. I love my comfort food. I love my comfort couch. I love my comfort seat. I love my comfort sneakers. I, 
I just want to be comfortable. And comfort is a good thing. God is a good God who gives us good gifts. And one of the gifts that he gives us is comfort. In fact, scripture calls him in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3, the God of all comfort. In Psalm 94, 19, all of you who have like ample amounts of anxiety in life right now should write this reference down and like scribble this verse on your mirror with lipstick like a crazy person. Uh, dudes, just don't steal the good lipstick. You gotta take the stuff that like is at the bottom of the drawer. It says, anxiety was great in me, but your comfort brought me joy. In the book of John, when describing the Holy Spirit, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the comforter. Like, comfort isn't necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it is. It can be. It should be a part of our lives that we experience and that we take great joy in and recognize that that comfort that we get to enjoy in life is an incredible, great gift from a good God. But comfort can be a problem too. Like it presents a little bit of a trap for me. I love comfort, but there's such a thing as too much comfort. Ask, like, like, like wearing sweatpants to a funeral is too much comfort. Wearing socks and Crocs at the same time. It's too much comfort. I know you love your Birkenstocks, but wearing them to church, too much comfort. No, you can wear your Birkenstocks there. <laughs> Jesus probably wore them. But uh, there's such a thing as too much comfort. It can become a trap in your life when comfort becomes your be-all, end-all. When you treat comfort not just like this amazing gift that you get to experience and open, when you treat comfort not just like this place you get to go to to rest and refresh and take care of your soul, when you treat comfort like it is the end-all, be-all of your life's existence, it becomes a terribly difficult and painful trap that I'll just admit I have fallen into, and my guess is that at some point in your life too, you've probably fallen into the comfort trap. It affects, it can affect all areas of our lives, and when we fall into the trap of living our lives just to be comfortable, we miss out on the great stuff that God has for us, the better stuff, better than comfort stuff that God has for us, and we actually become pretty weak. You can look at it in your relationships. Like, have you ever avoided an uncomfortable conversation that you knew needed to happen in your relationship, right? You just didn't have the energy, didn't want to go there. You knew that this uncomfortable conversation would create some tension, that there might be some, some, some arguing, some disagreements, and so you just kind of tuck it away and you learn and you avoid and you avoid and you don't deal with it because you just want to be comfortable. And what happens in that relationship is you miss out on the greater intimacy that you could have because you are unwilling to be uncomfortable for a moment and have a conversation that you should have. 
what happens in that relationship is it starts to weaken as you start to practice avoiding the person you shouldn't be avoiding at all and the topics you shouldn't be avoiding at all. But, but you miss out on the greater things of life. You can apply this idea, this trap to like every literal part of your life. Like fitness. <laughs> if you're not willing to get uncomfortable and push yourself a little bit, you're gonna be weak. Business, if you're unwilling to put yourself out there to further yourself, to better yourself, to do the hard work, to put in the hours, you're not gonna advance. Like literally every part of your life you can apply this to. Comfort is a good gift from God that should be enjoyed in every aspect of your life. And at the same time, in every aspect of your life, if you make comfort the God of your life, you are screwed. Is that too strong? <laughs> Somebody's going to write me an email. <laughs> and I wonder how much of us, how many of us, I know I am. I know I am. I wonder how many of us are missing out on the greater thing that God has for us. Pick a category of your life because we treat comfort like a God. We have made it our life's ambition to just be comfortable. If I can have enough money, I'll be comfortable. If I can have enough things, if I can become, people treat me the right way, then I'll be comfortable. If I can just avoid all of this uncomfortable stuff, then I'll be uncomfortable. And we nerf our lives for the sake of bathrobes, ice cream, and couches. <laughs> Some of my comfort things. So besides banning Crocs and socks from Grace Free Church, I'm just kidding, you can wear those. You can wear whatever you want. Just wear something. That's all we, that's all we ask here. We need to start to understand how good that comfort from God is and also be aware of the dangerous trap that the enemy would lure us into to have us nerf our lives and miss out on all the purpose and all the goodness and all the better stuff that God has for us. And one of the keys to keeping this balance in check is to be cautious with your fallbacks. Now, here's what a fallback is. A fallback is a place or thing you retreat to, to escape, to feel better, to forget, to avoid, to find comfort. Now, some of you have really nice, cute, Instagrammable fallbacks. You like sipping tea and reading a book in the sunlight that's pouring through your window and you tell everybody about it on Instagram with like some kind of hashtag like living my best life, right? Like <laughs> some of you have really cute fallbacks. Some of us probably have some pretty unhealthy fallbacks. Whatever place you find yourself retreating to, to escape kind of the problems of life for a little bit. Whatever place you find yourself falling back to and retreating to, to avoid kind of the difficult things or challenges that you're facing in your life, whatever 
things you fall to, those are your fallbacks. And while your fallbacks can be good, they also can be bad. And you got to be cautious about what you're falling back to to find comfort. The boys in John chapter 21, they hit their fallback and they hit it pretty hard. And I think we can learn a few lessons from their whole ordeal. You have a couple of the main disciples here in John chapter 21, which I will read to you in a second. And, and this is after Jesus has resurrected. This is after Jesus has appeared to them. And they are having like a moment where they're just like, what are we going to do? Let's just hit our fallback. It says this in John chapter 21 and verse 1. After, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, we talked about all last week, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, that's who those are, and two other disciples were together. And Peter looks at them and goes, I'm going out to fish. Sounds like a fantastic idea. So they all say to Peter, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat. They had all been fishermen, if you're not aware of that, before Jesus had seen them on a beach like this one in a very similar encounter like this one and had to asked them or called them to follow, to follow him. They had left everything, they had followed him and then Jesus had died, he had rose, risen again and now here they are hitting that same old scene, the thing they always did, the thing they were good at, the thing that brought them great comfort, the thing that was fun, a thing that they were used to doing together. Nothing probably felt more comfortable to these guys than their fishing boat and this body of water. They were just doing what they always did, what they loved to do, what they wanted to do, what they missed doing. They were just hitting their fallback pretty hard. We'll go with you. So they all went out in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. We call that getting skunked. They got skunked all night. Early in the morning, it says, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Like all good friends do when you're just taking a skunking on the chin, right? <laughs> They're all like, you don't got anything? Oh, okay. No, they answered. He said, throw your net out on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now this is absolutely incredible. This is a line that Jesus has said to them before another night when they were getting skunked when he was revealing who he was to them. The disciples, oh, so that when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Part of me, like, deep down wonders if anybody was a little bit annoyed, like, like about how hard it was and then how easy, <laughs> just right there. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved it's actually the disciple who's recording this book of the Bible, John. He refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off. It's weird, but it's how they fished, all right? Like, and jumped into the water and the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from the shore about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish already on it and some bread. 
Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. And like all crazy fishermen do, they made sure to count them and made sure to tell everybody exactly how many fish they caught. It was 153. It's right there in your Bible. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, I don't know why these boys were hitting their fallback so hard. Maybe it was they were just bored. I hit my fallbacks when I'm bored sometimes. Maybe they were just uncertain about what the future has. I think probably you've hit your fallback and tried to retreat and escape and avoid when you have faced uncertainty about a decision that you have to make about your future. When you don't know which way you're supposed to go or what you're supposed to do, the temptation is there. Maybe they just needed to remember and they wanted to like, you know, bust out the yearbook, <laughs> Flip through the pages, look at all the awful haircuts and ask why did we wear that stuff and where were our parrots? <laughs> Seriously, Generation X's parents did nothing for our style. <laughs> Maybe they were feeling sentimental. Maybe they were superstitious. Maybe they weren't superstitious. Maybe they were just a little stitious. I don't know why they hit their fallback, but regardless of why they ended up on these boats fishing again through the night, they hit their fallback and they got skunked. Uh, now, here's what you got to know about your fallback. Without inviting God into that space, without having him still be part of your relationship, if you avoid him along with all the other things you're avoiding, if you try to keep this space just for yourself, just for you, and, and amputate your spiritual journey from your fallbacks, it will end empty. Not only will it be empty, it will never provide you with the comfort that you're really seeking. Empty is empty. Skunked is getting skunked. They were trying to do it all on their own, and they met this incredibly frustrating space that you are so familiar with. It's impossible to fix the greatest needs of our hearts on our own. You will never find what you're looking for, isolated and searching all on your own. You know this frustrated space of trying to make your life work and fix it all by yourself, this frustrating space where it seems like what you do is never enough. How much energy you put in is never enough. Your ideas are never enough. At the end of it all, after you've journaled it and read all the books and done all the things, there's still something missing. It's the frustrating space. No wonder so many of us are so tired, so burned out, still aware, even though we try to avoid it with all of our might, that something is still missing. 
stretched so thin. It's because even the places of good comfort that we need, we have kept God out of. Fortunately, there was a new day coming. Maybe you need a new day. I don't know what you got going on in your life, but God is the God of new days. I love that it mentions how dawn broke, and that's when Jesus showed up. In his timing, in his, in his wisdom, he shows up at daybreak. Not before, even though, man, it would have probably been welcomed by the disciples if he showed up way ahead of time, instead of letting them get skunked absolutely all night. Daybreak has come. Lamentations 3, 20 through 24 says this, his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. There's a new day for the disciples, a new day with the promise of a new purpose, with a new future, with the comfort that they were looking for and seeking, with the friendship that they needed. There was a new day to reset the course of their lives. There was a new day coming to fill their hearts till they were overflowing. There was a new day where they would find peace. There was a new day where they would find comfort. There was a new day where they would see God fresh. And God had this appointment for them ordained. And he has an appointment for you ready to. He's not comfortable at a distance. A, a convenient sometimes part of your life and an inconvenient part of your life other times. He cares too deeply and too much about you. He wants to have an encounter with you because he knows that when you have an encounter with him, your life will forever be changed, your heart will be full, and you will find those greatest needs of your life met in him, no matter what your circumstances. And here's what happens when you have an encounter with this real Jesus. When you see this Jesus for who he is, your heart swells. I mean, their hearts were swole. They were exploding with joy. You can kind of catch it in the tone of the boat. Like they're all overcome with excitement and joy and happiness. And John is like, that's him. Like it's him. And Peter's like, forget this. I'm going. You bring the boat. I, you, you deal with the fish. I'm out of here. He jumps out of the boat and dives into the water and swings, swims 100 yards. Not swings. That would be weird. Swims 100 yards Toward Jesus, and their hearts swelled. Is that what you need? I mean, really? Is that what you're looking for in all of your relationships, in all of your efforts in the workplace? Isn't that what we search for with like every waking hour of our lives? just to have our hearts full. Their hearts swelled, and what I, what I love about this encounter is that Jesus, he calls them friends from the beginning. I don't know how we got this twisted idea of God that his approach to us is anything other than friendship. 
How we get this twisted idea of God that maybe his approach to us is disappointment or he approaches us with his judgment or he approaches us with his, you should have known better, you know? <laughs> I don't understand where that all comes from because when Jesus shows up and he encounters these disciples who are confused and worried and uncertain and doubting and full of disappointment and all these kind of complex things that go into being a human being, when he approaches them, his approach is, hey friends, he comes to you in friendship, not to ruin your life, not to make it more complex or difficult or boring or lame or weird. He's not coming to you with judgment or disappointment because somehow you didn't live up to some expectation. Whoever you are, whatever you have going on in life, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, whatever struggles you have been wrestling with, whatever you messed up on the ride here this morning, he comes to you with his friendship. It's absolutely... One of those things I feel like got overplayed in Sunday school and so we kind of lost the weight of it. The God of the universe comes to you and offers you friendship with him. He's a God who pursues on repeat. Pursues, even if that repeat is annoying. Like he is a God who will keep showing up. He'll keep showing up on the beach for the disciples. He'll keep showing up when they need him. He'll keep revealing himself. He's been showing up for you. Maybe you haven't seen it or maybe you've been distracted or maybe you haven't noticed him, but he has been showing up for you. And maybe that's why you are even here searching and looking and hoping for something different or something more, something better this morning. It's because he has been nudging your heart and your heart is familiar to him and he is familiar to your heart. Ecclesiastes teaches us that he has written eternity on your heart. There's something deep inside you that knows there's more. There's something deep inside you that knows that life doesn't end with death. There's something deep inside you, though you may have tried to avoid it. There's something deep inside you that knows it's all found in this Jesus. I love these encounters where God shows up in the middle of our comfort, in the middle of whatever, and lets us know that he is pursuing us in his love and friendship. There's a couple of takeaways I got from this, and maybe, maybe you have different takeaways. Maybe these are, but like, here's, here's the first thing that I just want to lock into my heart, and maybe yours too right now, and that is that you are the one he loves. John's so arrogant, like the other disciples would know, <laughs> right? Like, and here he is walking around with all these other all of his boys and all, everybody who followed Jesus and Peter and all the other disciples and Thomas who got to stick his hand in, 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 in Jesus' hands and put his hand on Jesus' side. He's walking around with all of these and yet he keeps re referring to himself as like the one whom Jesus, Jesus loved. I'm, I'm the one he loved. Like he's just like, they got that arrogant kind of like, 
I'm just gonna suck up to the teacher kind of like vibe going on. It's like so just like spoiled almost. Like, oh, hey, everybody look at me. I'm the one Jesus loves. But while it seems a little bit arrogant at first glance, there's also something very beautiful. You see, he was overcome with the love that Christ had for him. It had soaked into his identity so much that he knew Whatever happened, whatever the story was, whatever the outcome was going to be, whatever the tale of his life would look like, whatever the circumstances might turn out to be, he knew, no matter what, he was the one that Jesus loved. You are the one Jesus loved. You are. And, and we got to let that soak into our soul. Like to have that be part of your identity. When you fail that course or that class or that test at school, it stinks, <laughs> but you're still loved. When the athletics aren't working out like you hoped for, or you get a season-ending injury that's just killing you, you are still loved. When he leaves you and without reason, you are still loved. When the boss fires you without reason, you are still loved. When the doctors give you that report that's just heart crushing, you are still loved because you are the one he loves. Get out of the boat and seek him. Don't let comfort become your God. Set aside all the distractions and just fix your eyes on Jesus, it says in Hebrews 12 too, that if you fix your eyes on Jesus, you won't lose hope. You won't grow weary. And let your faith lead you. They have breakfast. <laughs> what are you gonna do with Jesus? Let's eat some fish that he already caught while we were getting skunked. <laughs> like, oh, but he'll gracious, like patronizing, like, oh, bring your fish too, you know, but like, I got it. I love that Jesus' first move with this group, one of whom was a huge disappointment. We'll get to that next week. His, his play with these guys is to just sit down around a campfire on a beach and eat. This is about how God is inviting you to comfort found in him and rest found in him that allows you and empowers you to step into his purpose and direction for you next. This is about finding and enjoying the space where you can retreat with him, fall back with him, to enjoy his provision and find the rest you need to make it through your year, to make it through your week, to make it through your day. This is about enjoying his provision, finding rest in him, and just sitting in the friendship God has for you through Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love for us and that we, we, you are a God of comfort, that you provide us with comfort. Help us not to like amputate you from parts of our lives, 
We don't want comfort to become a God and derf our lives, have us missing out on the best things that you have for us in all of the areas of our lives. We, we want all that you have for us. I pray that you would help it sink deep into our hearts that we are the ones you love, that your approach to us is not in judgment, expectations, or disappointment, that you approach to us in friendship, that there is always a new day and a fresh morning when we have a relationship with you, that you're faithful always, that your mercies are new every day, that you keep pursuing us even when we are ignoring you and even when we are unfaithful to you. Help us to make you our comforter. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.